Um, as most of you know, and I know we've got some visitors in the room today, so um, this is, would be news to you guys probably, but this is actually our last day here, our last Sunday here as Calvary Bible Church. Next week, we're actually going to be joining together with a sister church here in Napa, Grace Church, right down the street, about a three-minute drive on Solano. And so there's just been such a partnership between us for so long now. The pastors on both, at both churches, ministries, relationships in the body, uh, through a number of circumstances, it became clear to us that the Lord would have us serve Him together instead of separately. So we're very excited about this. So this is our last Lord's Day together here at this location. Next week, we will be meeting at Grace Church, and the service starts at 1030. And so now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word, God's truth. Now, this is our last day together, as I said here, and I had said that for our last two weeks, last week we would talk about the love of God. So we looked at 1 John chapter 4, did a verse-by-verse study through verses 7 through 21. This week we're going to be looking at the grace of God. I am delighted to speak to you on the grace of God. So before we move any further, let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful. You have been so kind. Your favor is poured out on us in abundance. Your grace, your goodness, your benevolence, your generosity, your love, your mercy, We praise you for it, Father. We worship you because of it. We give you thanks. We give you our hearts. And so we ask, Father, that you would please meet with us now as we walk through the Word of God together, as we consider the Scriptures and what they reveal to us about your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would just blow our minds and that our hearts would be overwhelmed, that we would learn something new of your grace, that we would understand it more deeply, and that we would enjoy it more richly, and that we would appropriate it and walk in it more fully. So, God, would you be honored here today? We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right. I cannot put into words just how critical and foundational to the Christian faith grace is. It can't can't be done. I can't do it. And the reality is, I know that I don't fully understand the grace of God. I think it's it's a lifelong journey, probably a journey that we will continue on into eternity. In fact, I believe that the Bible teaches that, and we'll even look at that together today. And I had hoped to land on a text that could adequately, you know, cover a good deal of, of God's grace, but struggled as I, as I did through this, I come to realize that this is going to need to be a broader study, that we're going to need to look at a number of passages to better understand and appreciate God's grace. And so that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be a bit of a, a topical format. And in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was traveling back towards Jerusalem, and he, he stops at Miletus, and he meets with the elders from Ephesus. He gives them this amazing sermon on pastoral ministry and how to care for and shepherd the flock of God. And he kind of closes with this verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's kind of the closing point for Paul as he gives his farewell address to these brothers that he loved so dearly and served the Lord so radically with. He says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. The word of his grace. So that's my heart here today. I commend you guys to God and to the word of his grace. And I want us to consider his grace, think deeply upon his grace. And I got to tell you, this has enriched me as I have been studying this this week. And I trust that it will enrich all of us as we understand God's grace more fully. So just a number of points I'll make as we walk through here and different scriptures we'll look at. If you can turn there fast enough, cool. If not, I'll read it to us um, because I want to kind of keep moving at a steady pace here today. But I titled this message, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. You could say Grace Awakening. You know, you might have heard of the Great Awakening. Uh, You know, I pray that this is a Grace Awakening in our hearts, that God would open our eyes and hearts to the reality of His goodness and His grace. And the first point I would make is, Jesus is the source of grace. Now, some of this may not be new to us, okay? Some of these things, a lot of these things may be quite familiar, in fact. But there's a quote I heard recently that has really helped me, and it's the things that we need to hear the most are the things we've already heard. Amen? And so I pray that we would receive these things in a fresh way today. And so Jesus is the source of grace. And I would say it's an infinite grace, Because Jesus is the source, it's infinite, infinite. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, in the very beginning it says that in the beginning was the Word, that is speaking of Jesus, that the Word was with God and that the Word was God and that through Him all things were created. But then in verse 14 of John chapter 1 he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is grace? I think if I were to just say, what is grace? One of the things that you'll most often hear is, Unmerited favor, unmerited favor, and and we'll talk more about that. Um, that's not a bad definition. I think there's so much more to it than that. Uh, but really, grace, God's grace, is goodness, kindness, is generosity, and it is given to the undeserving because we don't deserve it, and so God gives it despite us because it's who He is, it's how He is, it's in His nature. Jesus is said to be full of grace. And we talked about this last week. The attributes of God, uh, what He has, He is. And He never suspends one attribute to exercise another. They all inform each other. It's amazing. And such is the case with the goodness, the, the grace of our Lord. It is in His nature. That's why He gives us grace, because He is full of grace. It flows from who He is. 
And so that means there's an unending amount of it because He's eternal. He's infinite. He is God in the flesh and He is full of grace. He is good. Good, when we think about it, carries the idea of the opposite of bad, right? You know, you have evil, you have good, okay, we, we get that. But when we talk about that, the goodness of God, the attribute of the goodness of God, there, there is that, sure, to be sure, but there, it's more than that. It's, it's God's desire to bestow blessing. It's in His nature to do that. And that is why God created the world, because God desired to bestow His blessings on a people. That's what He did. It wasn't because God needed fellowship. It wasn't because God was lonely. It was because God, in His infinite love and goodness, wanted to pour that out upon a people. And that's exactly what He has done. That's exactly what He is doing. Part of that goodness is demonstrated through what is called common grace. That's an important word, and you should know it. That is something that God does to the whole world. God gives His grace to the whole world, and the Bible says He allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That sun rises on the just and the unjust. God allows all of the world to enjoy children. God bestows so many blessings on us. He's allowed us to have medical and scientific advances. We have medication, modern medication. We have so many wonderful things that we enjoy. That is all God's goodness towards us. I mean, coffee, that, that's a common grace if there ever was one, right? And so the whole world has experienced God's grace and God's goodness in that sense. But God gives a very special grace to those who would be His children, to those who would trust Him savingly. And Jesus Himself had to secure this for us. Jesus had to secure it for us. There's nothing we could ever do to deserve it. It's given to us despite us. But God could not just give this special goodness to a people who were rebellious, hateful, rejecting God in His goodness. A price had to be paid. God's righteous wrath had to be satisfied because this is the thing. Like I said earlier, God's attributes, He doesn't suspend one to exercise another. He is completely just and full of wrath. At the same time, He is completely good and full of love and kindness. So how can those two things coexist? Through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we all deserve, so that if we would trust Him for salvation, we would be born again, and we would be recipients of God's special love and grace through His Son. Amen? Amen, amen. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you might by His poverty become rich. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Rich in what way? Rich in grace, rich in spirit, rich in eternal life, rich in relationship with our Father and with each other. Indeed, he has made us rich, and it's all by his grace. Amen? His infinite grace. And it says, from his fullness we have received grace upon Grace. Now, I love that. I love that phrase, from his fullness. From his fullness. From his nature, we have received. He isn't stingy in giving his grace, and we have not been skimped in receiving grace. 
It has been lavished upon us because it comes from the fullness of His nature, and it is grace upon grace. You know what that, the, the idea of grace upon grace? It is crashing wave after crashing wave, and you are just being taken down by it. And no sooner than one wave dissipates, another one comes crashing down right on top of you. God's grace is grace upon grace upon grace because it comes from the fullness of the Son who is infinite. Amen? From His fullness we have received. And so Jesus Christ is the source. And there is no other source. It is Jesus and Him alone. Well, that brings us to our next point. Every aspect of our salvation is by grace. All of it. It is all grace. This is saving grace. We looked at infinite grace. Now we look at saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here we are told that our salvation is a gracious gift from God, and we know that is true. It has nothing to do with our worthiness, with our capacity, with our capabilities, there was nothing that we could do to be worthy or deserving of God's grace, God's favor, of God's salvation. There was nothing that we could do. The Bible teaches that what we have actually earned or what we deserve is eternal damnation and separation from a holy God. But because of God's grace, we have been granted the gift of eternal life. And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A wage is something that you earn. It's something that you work for. And we have earned death. That is the wage of our sin, our transgression, our rebelliousness. But the free gift, the grace gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul says it is ours through faith. That is the mechanism through which we receive it. We trust. We believe. As I said earlier, it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11.6 There are many ways in which we seek to please God. Typically, we think about character traits, right? Uh, we think about holiness, godliness, what does that look like? Uh, and we might come up with a whole list of do's and don'ts. And I'm not saying those are bad, but what really pleases God is faith, believing that He is. And that's what Hebrews 11:6 6 says, we must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so faith, through faith, believing God that He is who He says He is, that He will do what He said He will do, that we are who He says we are, and that we need what He has to give us. And that if we receive what He has to give us, we become what He says we will become. Amen? That is faith. And it is through that that we receive God's kind gift of salvation. Believing in Jesus. Trusting Him for salvation. Turning from the old life to the new life in faith. 
But notice that even the faith, even the faith is a gift from God. Even the faith that we exercise in God's promise is a gift. That's what he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. That's the purpose. We can claim nothing here. I can take credit for nothing. It's all God. God sent His Son Jesus to die for me to take my place. God granted me faith so that upon believing I could be born again. That is all God. It is all a gift. And I can take credit for absolutely none of it. I can't look to the other person and say, well, I believe. Why don't you believe? You should believe. Yeah, you know, you're not as smart as I am, obviously. Right? There, there's no room for that. It's a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Now, from our vantage point, it's us. Because, of course, we have to believe. The Bible says, believe. Amen? So if you were to say, how can I be saved? I'm going to say, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. I'm not going to say, sit back and be zapped. No, I'm going to say, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's the promise of the Scriptures. But we find when it's all said and done, when we make it to the other side, though we have been called to persevere, to believe, to fight the fight against sin, and to move forward in faith, when we arrive on God's glorious shore, we're going to find that it was God who kept us all along. Amen? And to God be the glory. And so, it's all grace. Even after our salvation, he says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We probably don't often use the word workmanship, uh, maybe craftsmanship. Uh, we are the product of God's hands. We are the product of God's design. God is working in us to be who He has created us to be so that we can do good works and serve His purposes. God is doing that in us, and even the good things that we do, God prepared for us. So from salvation through sanctification to glorification, it is all God's grace. Amen? Amen. We don't get saved by grace and then keep ourselves through works. It just is not that way. It's all God's grace. we got to rest in it. we got to celebrate God in it. Number three, we are empowered by God's grace. We're empowered by God's grace. I just want you guys, again, I want to remind us, I'm not just trying to throw a bunch of Bible verses at us. I want us to understand these all describe to us kind of a different component or facet or element of God's grace. God's grace is, de is described as manifold in 1 Peter 4. We're going to look at that. It's like multifaceted. It's like turning a diamond in different directions and seeing different angles and facets and cuts of the diamond. That's the way God's grace is. And we have a very one-dimensional view of God's grace. We just think that it's unmerited favor. And it is, but it's so much more. And that's what my goal is in showing you these things, that we can see God's grace is so much more than we ever realized. And it's even more than what I'm describing here because there's so much more that the Bible has to say that I just couldn't bring out today. But I just want you to be amazed by the, the manifold wisdom of God's grace, the multifaceted nature of God's grace not only is it infinite, not only is all of our salvation and sanctification built on it, we are empowered by it. It's an, it's an enabling grace. Enabling grace. It enables us. 
2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, Paul is taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was falling on very hard times. I think there was a famine in the land. They were destitute and impoverished. And so Paul was going around and collecting gifts from other churches, kind of as a missionary work to help encourage and bless and support the struggling Christians in Jerusalem. Now, the churches in Macedonia, the area of Macedonia, that would be um, like Thessalonica, I think Philippi, churches in that area, that would be Berea. Those would be the churches of Macedonia. And they proved to be among the most generous of all the churches. In fact, we know that while Paul was serving in his missionary journeys, time and again, the churches of Macedonia supported him. They supported him. They were very generous indeed. But you know what? It's not because they had the most to give. It's not. It's not because they had the most to give. They themselves were in the most difficult of circumstances. Paul says that right there that they are in a severe test of affliction, that they are in the midst of extreme poverty themselves, and they were suffering persecution themselves. But the grace of God had been given them. That's exactly what Paul says. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God had been given to them such that in the midst of their affliction and extreme poverty, their abundance of joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. How can that be? How can it be that when you are suffering, when you are impoverished, when you are afflicted and persecuted, that you can joyfully give of what you do have to somebody else? That's the grace of God. God's grace does that. Because he who was rich became poor so that we through his poverty could become rich. That was God's grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul says. So as recipients of that kind of grace, we are then enabled to give grace and to be generous towards others. That's exactly what we see happening here in the church of Macedonia. And Paul said that's all God's grace. That's God's grace on their lives that enables them to do such a thing. Such a thing that seems so wild to us, unlikely, that's because it's God's grace abounding towards them. God's grace enables them to do that. Amen? Amen. Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God does that. The grace of God. Now, Paul is writing to a pastor protege, much like his son in the faith, Timothy. This guy's name is Titus. This is one of the pastoral epistles. Paul spends quite a bit of time instructing Titus to make sure that he takes seriously sound doctrine, teaching, make sure that it's pure, that it's true, that it's right, because that affects godly living. 
one necessarily leads to the other. And that's a huge emphasis of the book. But then Paul says that it's by God's grace that we can do these things. Amen? Amen. It's by God's grace that we can live these things out. He doesn't just say, teach the Bible and tell them how to live. He says, no, God's grace trains us to be able to do these things. That word trains, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a full word. It's a heavy word. Uh, it's actually the Greek word from which we get pedagogy, which is uh, teaching, right? Pedagogy is the science of teaching. What, what is pedagogy? Who knows? I just learned this week, word like a week ago. I've heard it a bunch. Nobody knows. Okay, so I could be totally wrong and you wouldn't know it. All right. Anyways, I think that's why it is translated as teaching in other translations. The grace of God teaches us, um, but it really does actually carry more the idea of training. Why is that? Because the, the idea of this word is uh, like to train up a child so that they may mature and realize their full potential. It, it carries the idea of development. Um, this requires necessary discipline, which includes administering chastisement, punishment, right? That's one of the definitions that I, I came across here, and that's, that is a much more fuller understanding. It speaks of the whole training and developmental process, not just teaching some facts, but helping someone mature in their abilities. And it's a process, and it takes time, and it takes messing up, it takes correction, it takes chastising, discipline, all of that is bound up in that. And Paul says, what is the grace of God that does that for us? It's the grace of God that does that in our lives. We are developed, we grow, we mature, we learn, we become equipped and capable, we become enabled to do the things God has called us to do by His grace. So it is saving grace and it's training grace. Amen? Amen? And through this grace, we can renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And we can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This, is, this present age that we're living in is a crazy time. And it's just getting crazier by the day. It really is. But we can live God-glorifying, self-controlled, upright lives in this present age, in this world demonic world system, the world that says what is bad is good and that what is good is bad. We can live God-glorifying godly lives in this age, amen? amen? By God's grace, we can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. If it wasn't for God's grace, we couldn't do that. We'd be in this flesh we would be subservient to this world's system and this world's ruler, Satan. We would be uh, controlled by its devices and the schemes of the enemy, period. That's why the Bible says that outside of Christ, we are by nature children of wrath, children of the devil. We are slaves to do his will and his bidding. But by God's grace, we are set free. We are no longer captives to Satan. We are taken from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And by God's grace, we are equipped to be able to live lives that reflect that. Amen? Amen. We must and we can by God's grace. Next point. We are sustained by... Uh-oh. Okay. 
We are sustained by God's grace. And this kind of closely overlaps with the last point, uh, but I think that there's enough distinctiveness to it that we'll handle this a little separately, and I would call this helping grace. Helping grace. Hebrews 4.16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Man, what a great verse. That's a verse to memorize right there. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And they're struggling. They've begun to encounter serious hardship. They're being put out of the synagogue, probably ostracized from their family, They're probably struggling financially, and they are isolated and alone, and it's all bad. And the people that love them are now against them, and they're being persecuted, and they are beginning to wonder if perhaps they've made the wrong decision, if maybe this Christianity thing wasn't the way after all. Maybe I should abandon that and go back to Judaism. That's really kind of what's happening there, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage them, do not turn back, draw near. Do not turn back, draw near. That's why you see that word draw near over and over and over in the book of Hebrews. And he says that we are to draw near to the throne of grace. In Christ, God's throne is a throne of grace to which we can draw near confidently. The throne represents power, authority, majesty. That's what it represents. A supreme ruler. And so when we talk about God sitting on His throne, that's, that's what's being expressed there. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter how crazy or upside down it may seem, where is God? He's on His throne. God's in control. God remains the supreme ruler, all-powerful, and He's working all things together according to the counsel of His own, his own will. For His own God is on the throne. Sorry, y'all. I don't know what's going on with the mic here. Well, we're told that we can come to that throne. Now, this language, as you've heard me talk about this before, uh, it's, it's a terrifying thing to enter into the throne room of an earthly monarch. It's a terrifying thing. Uh, there, you only can do it if you're invited, and if you come in, you have to carry yourself in a certain way. In certain times and places, it could carry with it a death sentence if you go about this the wrong way. But not so with God. Because of Jesus Christ and what He has done, we can draw near with boldness, with confidence, with gladness. We can come before the supreme ruler, the sovereign. We can come into His presence with thanksgiving and gladness. We're invited to come to find mercy and to find help in our time of need. Christian, take that to heart. Take that to heart. When you are struggling, remember this verse. Think on this verse. When you are struggling, envision this even in your mind. You are invited, you are encouraged to come to the throne room of grace to find mercy and help in the time of need. Mercy and help in the time of need. He will look upon you with mercy and He will give you the grace that you need, either 
to endure the difficulties that you are suffering under and through. Maybe He will alleviate the suffering. Maybe He will change your situation. Maybe He will not. But He will give you the grace that you need to persevere. Amen? Amen. And that brings us to the very next point. It ties right into that. Uh, Next, in our weakness, we can rest in God's grace. In our weakness... We can rest in God's grace. This is what I would call sufficient grace. Sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians 12, it says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul is speaking about some kind of an infirmity that he has some kind of an affliction that he is suffering. We don't know exactly what it is, but Paul says that he had seen this vision, a vision of heaven, and that so that he would not become conceited, God saw fit to give him some kind of an affliction to keep him humble. Many have speculated that it is a disease in his eyes. And there actually are a number of scriptural references that would lead us to believe that. And that would make sense if you think about the fact that he saw heaven and God wanted to humble him, so he afflicted his eyes. And it's been suggested, and I think in Galatians you kind of see this, that it might have even been really a, a kind of a repulsive thing. People were like, ugh, they were kind of grossed out by it. Paul said to the Galatians, I know you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. I mean, you can't be much more plain than that. And so it seems that something happened that really caused him to suffer greatly through his, his eyes. And Paul pleaded with God. He pleaded with God on multiple occasions for healing. That's how bad it was. We know that. Whatever it was, we know it was that. It was that bad. But God, in His love and wisdom, did not heal Paul from his affliction. He didn't do it. Instead, He said, my grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a difficult and confusing verse sometimes. I've grappled with this for years, trying to understand what exactly does this mean? So I have to just kind of with a level of humility say that I even struggle with understanding this fully, um, what, what's going on here. But I do think kind of the, the plain thing needs to be the main thing. The main thing needs to be the plain thing. That will help guide you in your Bible study. Just tuck that away. That's an important principle. And what Paul is saying here is that he can be okay with his affliction. He can be okay in his weakness. He can be content with that. If God's not going to take it away, that's okay because he realizes that it's God's strength anyways. It's all God's strength. In his weakness, it's all God's strength working through him. And I think the reality is 
as Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm actually strong because God's strength is really put on display. I think that's really the idea. When we're strong, it's easy to think it's our strength. It would be easy to say, yeah, yeah, but I mean, look at that guy. You know, he's handsome, he's charismatic, he's hilarious, he's, uh, he's uh, all of these things, of course. Uh, you know, but when you take someone like Paul, who they said he was weak in language, the, the Corinthians mocked him because they said he was not a strong, he didn't have strong oratory, you know, rhetoric, and that his appearance was weak. And they actually mocked him a little bit. And he said, you know, when I was with you, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified among you so that it wouldn't be persuasiveness of words, it would be the power of the gospel and the power of the cross on display. And so in our weakness, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's grace is truly on display. And so Paul said, I'm good with that. You know, we tend to think of God's grace as kicking in when our strength runs out, if we're honest. That's, I think, what we think. I'll do what I can do, and then when I can't do what I can do anymore, then God's grace kicks in. And that might actually sound good to us, but the reality is, that's wrong. It's all God's grace. We don't have any strength, okay? It's not a cooperative deal here. It's not all my strength and goodness and wherewithal and capabilities, and then God's grace makes up for my lack. No, it is all God's grace, and when we can be honest that we're weak, that we don't have it all together, that we do have struggles, but it's all God's grace, we can glorify Him in that, and we can rest in that, because truly His grace is sufficient, amen? It's all grace no matter what condition we are in. Are you in a good place right now? Are you full of joy? Are you just slaying the sin in your life, you know? That's God's grace. Are you struggling? Are you suffering? Are you hurting? God's grace is upon you. Are you struggling with sin? Are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling overcome? God's grace is still on you. It is all God's grace. Saved by grace. Kept by grace. It is all God's grace. And we can rest in that. Amen? We can rest in that. God's grace is to be a place of rest. And the good news is, next point, just so you know, we're making great time here, so this won't be a long one, so I say. Um, some of you are probably already thinking, man, how long have we been here? Uh, okay, we can never out God's grace. That's the next point, note takers. We can never out God's grace because it's a super abounding grace. Super abounding grace. It's literally kind of the idea that Romans 5, verse 20 carries. It says this, Romans 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does Paul mean the law came in to increase the trespass? Well, simply put, I, I, I think he's saying that by the knowledge of the law, we're made more aware of our own guiltiness. And that is the ultimate purpose of God's law. God's law is given to demonstrate something of God's righteousness to us, obviously, but God's law is also given to us to show us that we're lawbreakers, period. We're lawbreakers, and we don't want to relate to God based on His law, based on our ability to keep His law, because we can't. 
So by the knowledge of the law, we are made more aware of our own guiltiness. So when the law came in, it came in to increase the trespass, but grace abounded all the more. No matter our level of guiltiness, God's grace is greater. And I'm speaking first and foremost to maybe those who haven't trusted Christ Jesus. Look, your sins may be many. All of our sins are many. But you know what? His mercy is more. His mercy is more. Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. The, literally, that could be rendered, it superabounds. Where sin is abundant, grace is superabundant. Okay? And it's going to always be that way. Because remember the source. The source is Jesus Christ Himself. And no matter what you've done, you can be saved because the cross of Jesus Christ is greater than all of our sins. So if you're in here thinking that you don't know what I've done, God could never forgive me, you are wrong. God does know what you have done, and He says, I forgive you through my Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the cross, because it is all grace to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And so, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And to the Christian, no matter how much you may be struggling right now, you need to know you cannot exhaust God's grace. And I think that's what we really need to know. You can't exhaust it. But that's what we think. We think, okay, God forgave me. I was ignorant. I was dead in my trespass and sin. Praise God for His glorious grace. I'm saved. But now I know better. Now I've got the Word of God. I've got the Spirit of God. There's no excuse. And God surely can't forgive me now. And then again, and we sin again and again and again and a million and a trillion more times. And we think, God's not going to forgive me this time. That is a small view of God's grace. God's grace is inexhaustible. Amen? It superabounds. Amen. It superabounds. And so we need to rest in that. Now, that is not to be a license for us. That's not for us to say, okay, all right. You've heard me say this before, you know. God loves to forgive and I love to sin. This is a great relationship. That's not the idea here, okay? But the fact that God's grace superabounds, that ought to move us and compel us to want to do His will and not sin against His love and His kindness towards us. Grace is not a license to sin. It's a motivator. And that's exactly what Paul says as he moves into Romans 6. In verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that we, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So God's grace compels us to walk uprightly, to fight the fight against sin. God's grace is not cheap. It's not a cheap grace. It came at a very expensive price, the precious blood of Jesus. And we don't believe in sloppy agape, okay? Um, 
we are compelled by the love of God and the grace of God to fight sin. Amen? But we realize that even in our weakness, when we succumb, when we fail, God's grace and mercy is more. So we can always fall back on that. Next point, we are responsible to steward God's grace. God's grace is a gift to us. It's a gifting grace. 1 Peter 4 Verse 10, it says, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There it is, the manifold grace. We are stewards. It's been entrusted to us. We're to minister it to others. We have that responsibility. It says, as each one of you has received a gift. In the body of Christ, every Christian has been gifted. Now, this word in the Greek, it is actually very similar to the word grace. Charis is the word for grace. This is charisma. And it literally means grace endowments. Uh, it divinely empowers a believer to share God's work with others. Spirit empowers service to the church to carry out His plan for His people. We have been given grace endowments. We have been given grace gifts so that we can minister and serve one another, minister to and serve one another as good stewards. It's not mine, and it's not yours. It's God's, and it has been entrusted to us, and we are going to give an account for what we do with it. We don't want to be the steward that buried it in the sand. We want to invest the master's assets while he is away. So upon his return, we have something to show for the grace that has been given us. Amen? And so recognize God's grace is great, and we are recipients of it, but we got to do something with it, too. we got to do something with the good things that God has given to us. Lastly, it's all to the praise of God's grace. It is all to the praise of God's grace. This God-glorifying grace. Ephesians 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So all of this, the redemption that we have, the word redemption means to be purchased or bought back. We are bought out of our sin, out of our slavery. We are bought out of that condition by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed there at Calvary's tree. We are bought back and we are forgiven. Jesus paid for that forgiveness. Every single good thing that we enjoy, every answered prayer, every grace was purchased for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, according to the riches of His grace. The riches of His grace. And this is to the praise of His grace, that He would be honored and glorified and extolled for His grace. Listen to this, and this is kind of what I was talking about in the very beginning, learning of God's grace and throughout all of eternity. Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For all of eternity, His grace is on display. For all of eternity, His grace is praised. For all of eternity, we are there in glory, and it's because of His glorious grace. It was because of the riches of His grace. And for all of eternity, we're going to be learning of this manifold, multifaceted, infinite grace whereby we have been saved, redeemed, and glorified. You know, mercy and grace, these are so often linked together. I remember as a new believer, there was another guy I knew. I don't think he was a believer, and he probably would have, would have told you that, but he, he just always would get so annoyed by mercy and grace. He's like, they're the same thing. Why do, why do people keep saying mercy and grace all the time? And I didn't know any different. I didn't know any better, and I thought, you're right, I don't know. But I've come to realize over time they're not the same thing. They, they are like two sides of the same coin, but they are different. They are different. They're similar yet distinct. As stated already, grace is getting that which we don't deserve. We don't deserve kindness. We don't deserve it. But God in His grace gives us kindness. Mercy is often described as getting what we uh, or not getting what we do deserve. We deserve punishment. God withholds it. That's mercy. Sorry, that's mercy. Okay? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Condemnation. In order for us to not get what we deserve. Now follow me on this. This is a little tricky. In order for us to not get what we deserve, we must first get what we don't deserve. In order for us to get mercy, we need grace. We need grace. And the reality is, this is such an understatement because it's not that we didn't deserve it. We deserved the opposite. We deserved disfavor, right? It's not that we were just neutral here and that you take it or leave it. You know, we, no, it was we, we deserved disfavor, yet God in His grace and mercy gave us what we didn't deserve and as a result was able to withhold what we did deserve. Ephesians 4.2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Amen? Amen. Rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Kind in grace. And all of this is ultimately that which is for all of the ages to come will demonstrate His immeasurable riches and grace towards us in Christ. And here's the point I'm trying to make with all of this. Guys, and listen to me. We're closing right now on this. Listen, if I lost you, reel it in. This is so much bigger than us. This is so much bigger than you and your struggles. This is God's glory. And God's goal is God's glory. And God will be glorified. And He has purpose that He will be glorified by grace. And so as a recipient of grace, God's grace is inexhaustible towards you. It is crashing wave after crashing wave coming from an 
infinitely inexhaustible source. And for all of eternity, God's going to be praised for that. God is going to be glorified for that. So you might be struggling, you might be feeling awfully weak, you might be feeling defeated, but God's grace is rich towards you. It is not going to run out. You are not going to exhaust it because God has determined, God has purposed that in Christ He would be glorified for all of eternity as this great God full of mercy who is giving us the grace that we need. Amen? So we can rest in that. Rest in the grace of God. Celebrate the grace of God. Bask in the grace of God. Study the grace of God. Discover God's grace. Appropriate God's grace. Be mindful of God's grace. Depend on God's grace. Amen? Amen. His glorious grace. It really is amazing. It really is amazing. i got to tell you, I'll probably just scratch the surface. I don't even know if, it's, if I can say I scratch the surface here. It's good, isn't it? Amen. Our God is good. He's faithful. He is a God of grace. He's been so kind to us. I hope you know His grace. I hope you have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and that you have experienced God's special saving grace in your life. I hope you have this grace to see through in this life because we need it. We need it. Amen? Amen. And it abounds towards us. The invitation is there. Trust Christ. Just in the quietness of your own heart where you sit, do business with God right now. Confess that you need Him, that you believe that He is God and that He has sent His Son Jesus to die for your sin in your place so that you could receive the riches of Christ and God would be your Father, no longer a judge. That you need His grace, that you believe His grace. Amen? All right. I just want to say I love you guys very much. It has been uh, quite the journey. It has been quite the ride. It's a privilege that I don't deserve. I never thought that I would have to be able to be a lead pastor and teach God's Word to God's people week in and week out. And I'm grateful that God has given me this wonderful gift of grace to be able to do that. But you know what? I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. And you are too. We're going to continue to fellowship with one another. And we're going to be able to see God's family grow as we come together with other people. More relationships. More partnerships more opportunities to serve, more pastors to be able to be ministered to, ministered to by and to learn from. Uh, it's, it's awesome. This is God's doing, and I want us to, to celebrate that and be excited about it. And I hope that all of you will join us next week as we come together with the body at Grace and we become one and we begin this next new chapter. Amen? Yeah. God's faithful. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your glorious grace. Thank you for just how marvelous you really are. Uh, astounding, God. Majestic in holiness and in beauty. Infinite in grace and love. We worship you. We give you our hearts, our minds, our hands. Everything that we have, it's yours, Father. And Lord, help us to honor you in all ways. Thank you for your marvelous grace. I pray that we would not walk away from here and forget it so soon, so quickly, but that we would be forever changed by it, God, and that our lives would be informed by it in every way.
And I pray for us in this next chapter, Lord, as we join with the brothers and sisters at Grace Church. I pray, God, that every one of us would find our way, that you would guide us as our great shepherd, that you would allow us to find our place and to plug in. I pray, God, that uh, no sheep would go unaccounted for, um, but that you would see your people on, and that uh, this would just be an opportunity for us to grow more deeply in our walk with you and in our love for the saints and our opportunities to serve you, God, and to bring you glory. And so, Father, lead us, and we thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for your provisions, which have been many. Thank you for being with us this whole time, and thank you that you're with us even on to the day that we stand before you in glory, and we praise you. It's all to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.